Hello, this is Swami Janeshwar, Swami J. This is a conversation on the stages of meditation dealing with the senses and actions, body, breath, the various levels of mind, and that which is beyond the mind. It centers around a graphic on the homepage of SwamiJ.com that shows these stages, along with a question mark representing that which is beyond. We also talk about subtle experiences of meditation, obstacles to enlightenment, yoga sutras, and balancing living in the world with the highest goal of life. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's the existential question, what is this? (laughs) Who am I, where did I come from, and what is this chart? The questions of life. Well, can you teach us to get to enlightenment in 15 minutes? Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. The key is, the key is, the question mark. Oh, here we are. I get that question. The term center of consciousness is what had been there with an arrow pointing to that right-hand circle. And, and that's a phrase that really is one thing that can be said about center of consciousness is the intent is that it's a neutral, it's a neutral comment. But people end up perceiving it as not a neutral comment, but rather as a definition. And it's really more the thing that says, it's not trying to sell a concept or pitch an idea or anything like that. It's simply saying, Look, you. Everybody knows you have a body. Everybody knows you breathe. Everybody knows you have a mind. Well, underneath all of that, there's a center. That's a center of consciousness. It's not meant as a metaphysical definition or a terminology, but it comes across that way. Well, what does that mean? It's not supposed to mean anything. In fact, what it's attempting to do is avoid definitions, so that you don't have to say, well, what is Brahman? What is Atman? It, it, and, and when we talk about Yoga Sutras, Yogas Chitta Vritti Naroda, Tada Drastu the principle being, once you do the Naroda, the letting go or whatever you call of all of this stuff that's going on in all the minefields, once you let go of that, the Drastu, the seer, whoever's left, is just sitting there resting in its own true nature. So what's one of the reasons that of, of yoga as, a, as meditation that says it's not religious at all. There's simply no religion in it. It's simply saying once you once you find the way to temporarily suspend or set aside all of the false identities, who you are is whatever's left is who you are. And so that was it. that's the intent behind center of consciousness, but it doesn't come across that way. So it struck me that I, I'm just going to put a question mark there, and, and so then it's the mystery, it's the unknown. Or the beyond. So we get to say it's whatever's beyond all this other stuff, that's what the question mark is. Or say it's the unknown that's revealed by going through all of the other stuff. So I put the question mark. I think we should have fun with the anomalies of our minds. <laughs> if we can't play about... It's our... You know, Swami Rama said this sentence. I see this sentence. He said, uh, your habit patterns are your personality. I read that in one of the things he said. And I, I wanted to insert the word like or something like that. I wanted to modify it a little bit. But but that's not what it said. And, and it chewed on it the longest time. And it, and it increasingly became... And now it's so ragingly obvious that you're, that's a true statement. Your, your habit patterns actually are your personality. 
if you had no habit patterns whatsoever, you, you, what would you be? You'd just be neutral. You'd just be, there'd be no characteristics. And so it, it, we talk about, you know, karma and samskaras and clashes and attachments and aversions, and we can unfortunately get the notion that somehow those are bad. They're bad things to get rid of. They need to be trained and attenuated, but, but they're not bad. They define our personality. So the, the whole notion of meditation at, at the higher thing of meditation is, uh, you know, to how to remember that center, the question mark, while at the same time being in a personality. So, so when you show up four minutes late, we say we were waiting for you. But now we can't play that game anymore. You start showing up on time. <laughs> Well, you can still do it on Saturdays. I haven't looked Saturdays yet. Okay. So she's no problem. She might be a little trouble for you to meditate. But that's okay. There's a simple comment that it says, it's not a sound that disturbs your meditation, but your reaction to the sound. It's a simple thought, but it's true. In, uh, so flying bunnies are helpful. Say, what about things hitting you in the head? Same, same, same thing. Some say, some say that you know, it's like the measure of good meditators. What do you do with a mosquito? What do you do with mosquitoes? No, but the notion, I'm not suggesting this is an idea, but the notion is that if you're, in, if you're really in meditation, you'll do nothing. The mosquito will just have lunch. You don't even brush it away. You just, you know, just let him eat. I mean, the mosquito story, theoretically, you can control that. You, can, you have some part in the decision. Or a fly, a fly lands on your face or is buzzing around your head. But if you were really in samadhi, you wouldn't notice. That's right. That's correct. You would have done pratyahara. Pratyahara is the fifth rung of in, in yoga. It's the withdrawal of the senses. And so, if we understand that properly, then we don't beat up on ourselves. If we don't, then we, we define withdrawal of the senses as I'm closing my eyes and I've withdrawn my senses. And, and it's like, no, we haven't. We've closed our eyes. And I'm not saying that as an insult to make us feel bad. Well, oh, I, I, am, I failed. I haven't done Pratyahara. Almost all of the time that we're sitting for meditation, we haven't—we're not actually meditating. We haven't done pratyahara. We're not actually in the state of dhyana called meditation. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as we understand that we use the English word meditation in lots of different ways. But in fact, the senses have not withdrawn. The indriyas have not withdrawn. And uh, so. In America, meditation has gone into the medical establishment so much to the point that the measure of meditation has solely to do with what's going on with your physical body. I'm glad that we're doing the research, but the, the measure of success of meditation is whether you can cause the, the, the PET scans to change the colors of the lights and whether you can make your brain waves change. And if you can, if you can get your blood pressure to come down, that's, that's success with meditation. I wrote an article in the site's been there some time, and, and I know that almost nobody sees the significance of it. 
but it's pointing out that there's there tends to be two 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 polarities in meditation. There's the uh, uh, and, and not that this is unique knowledge, but uh, but that there's one one end of the polarity is called insight, and the other end of the polarity is called concentration. And and more often than not, somebody takes sides and says, you you know, this is the best, or they go to the other end and they say this is the best, and and to miss the obvious that the two go together. The two go together. We need to do both. And so the people promoting insight will, will speak very negatively about people doing concentration and saying they're pointless and, you know, and all the arguments that make it sound like this is the thing to do. And you go to the other end of the spectrums and they tell you, no, no, you don't need to look at your mind or do anything. Just chant this mantra. Just be one-pointed on this mantra. And if you do that well enough, you're there. And, and the reality is, you see, when, who am I? In my opinion, my experience, and my tradition, the, the, the notion is that if you were absolutely able to pull off either one at its highest level, you'd get there. Either one would work. If you took insight, but most insight meditation stays only in the body and the senses. If you look at the training that's done, it says be aware of your body, be aware of your body, maybe be aware of your breath. And when you're aware of your body, you're aware of the sensation in, in, the, in the body. And what do I do if a thought comes? Go back to the body. No. But if you carry it far enough, you, the, the notion of insight, you'll be, you'll be witnessing the conscious mind. You'll start to be doing essentially what, what the Vedantic meditation is. What we're talking about is the contemplative style of meditation where you're introspecting the levels of the unconscious mind and ultimately revealing the other. And so it, it, insight carried far enough will take you there. And similarly, if one could, one of the metaphors I've heard used for concentrative meditation is the difference between a shotgun and a rifle shot, not meaning to be violent, but with the rifle shot, the notion is you take your attention, and if you can so target your attention, you're able to pierce through all the levels, and you go directly to whatever the question mark is, center of consciousness. And both are valid. Both, ultimately, both could do it. But that, I don't know, that may be one out of a million or one out of a billion people. It's just for, for a vast majority of people. If, if all we want is to manage our stress rather than get rid of it, if all I want to do is manage my stress, then staying at the surface level with insight is a good thing to do. But so too is, is sitting there, you know, just being one-pointed on a, on a point of concentration. Can we talk about Samyamas? Samyama has three parts, one of which is samadhi. The word samyama is a pretty grand word. It's a, it's a, it's a, some say, this is a terrible comment. This might sound depressing. I don't mean this to be depressing. Please don't hear depressing in this. Some say that spiritual life begins with samadhi, not ends with samadhi. The way in which that can be kind of depressing is going to sounds like, well, wait a minute, I don't even know that I've experienced samadhi, and now you're telling me I'm not even at the starting gate? And uh, we don't need to think of it in that negative way. But the notion is this, that we have, and we don't even have to define this because every one of us has a, a personal experience or understanding of this, but we have something that we can call attention. 
and that's not meant as a, a deep metaphysical comment. It's just simply the fact that we have attention. And so I can direct my attention here and there. I can watch her. I can watch him. I can, I can direct my attention out of my own choice and put it here or there. Right? True? And so if we, if we get caught in defining it and making it complex, then okay, we can go in all sorts of philosophical directions. But if we just take attention as attention and note that I can move it around, attention naturally from time to time or by intent turns into something that we can call concentration. So if I'm just glancing around the room and my eyes fall on any one person, now I'm concentrating on that person. Okay? We're all of us doing this all the time. When that concentration becomes sustained, sustained meaning that it's not that I'm concentrating there, then I'm interrupted, then I'm concentrating, but it's sustained. When the same one thought, if it's a thought in the mind, when that same thought repeats over and over and over with no interruption at all. Okay? Got that? That's called meditation. The Sanskrit word for concentration is dharana, usually written D-H-A-R-A-N-A. The Sanskrit word for meditation used in this way is dhyana, D-H-Y-A-N-A. When we use the word English word meditation, often we use it in many, many different ways, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when we're talking about science of meditation, it's real useful. You know, all sciences have their own jargon, their own language. And it's, and it's useful to understand when we use the word meditation, what is it we're actually talking about at that, in that particular usage of the term. When concentration, dharana, is sustained, it turns into dhyana, which is technically is actually is meditation. And so if you're looking at an external object, if you if we're talking about the withdrawal of the senses, if you were if your eyes are open and you gaze at a point, if you just pick a point on a wall or a dot or a spot and you gaze at it long enough, you'll notice that your peripheral vision starts to fall away. Have you ever done that? You, and you notice this? You, you you're just you're no longer seeing what's in your peripheral vision. The reason I'm using this example is because it's something that's so clear that you can do. And if you do that, you'll notice that it almost, if you stay with it, it almost feels like you're looking down a tunnel. And as soon as you notice it, your mind kicks back and you see the periphery. But if I'm looking over here, the other people will disappear. Is it, you've had, we've all had that experience? And so that's, that's one simple example of a way in which attention has turned into concentration, dharana. And then when it's sustained... It, 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 what word do we call that? If we just say it's concentration, we say, well, yeah, but it was sustained concentration. What do I call that? Well, let's call it dhyana. Okay. And that's meditation. Then there's this mysterious thing that happens that when the mind is meditating on an object, there is an observer observing the object. If I'm looking at using my eyes, then it's, it's mostly the sense of sight. But, but what's happening is attention is operating through sight. Right? If I'm listening to a sound, then my attention 
my awareness is operating through the sense of hearing. True? If I'm being aware of the sense of touch in my skin, I'm using the cognitive sense of touch. And at that point, I'm not seeing anything or I'm not hearing anything. It's only the sense of touch. Right? But in every one of those cases, there's a me, however we may conceptualize that, doing some version or another of process of awareness of observing some other something. There's an observer observing the observed. Okay? When it when it's there temporarily, that's called concentration. When it's sustained or dhana. When it's sustained, it's called dhyana or meditation. Then there's this neat thing that happens from time to time where it is as if. I use the term as if because so we don't get lost in what actually is happening. We, we may not know how to define it, but it is as if those three processes collapse into one process. And it is as if I disappear. It's as if there's no longer a me who is doing an action called seeing or hearing and touching or smelling or tasting or being aware of an object. It's as if all there is left, I was going to say in my mind field, but at this point we're not even aware of mind field. It is as if there's nothing left except the object itself. Completely devoid of a process of observing that. I'm saying again, as if. Because we could argue that, well, I still am aware of it, but I'm not aware of it, you see. Consciously, I'm not aware of it. It is as if all there is, is that object. There, there no longer seems to be any process of being aware of it, and there no longer seems to be anybody back here who's witnessing that object. All there is is the object. You with me? That's the definition of samadhi. Would that occur during the 61 points of the yoga nature? I'm sorry, say that again? Yes. Can it can it happen in sixty one points in Yoga Nidra? Yes. It, it's one of the it's one of the sometimes when somebody's doing sixty one points, they'll come and say, you know, something weird happened. You know, I was here and I it's like I missed the next twenty seven points and I don't know where I was and I'll say, Were you asleep? You say, No, I wasn't asleep. I would know I was awake. But as soon as you realize that you've been on that one point for a really long time. Right. You mean you mean many points down the road shows up? Yeah, all of a sudden on the left side. And yeah, you, you missed all those points in the middle. Yeah. and during that time you were aware only of that one point. Yeah, and and so there there was only that point. And you may say, well, that was concentration on that point. This is where you have to under. This is why you have to understand the difference between the three dhāna, dhyāna, and samādhi, so that you can internally say, not that you have to overly analyze everything, but so you can internally say which one of these was I doing, and you can draw your own conclusion, and you can realize that I was on that point, and I was concentrating. But then you realize, well, wait a minute, it was sustained so long that it was like we went through 20 more points and I missed them because I was so much in that point. I didn't hear the voice in the recording. I did nothing. It was just that point. I had no extraneous thoughts. And you realize, hmm, well, I was no longer in concentration. It had shifted into meditation. And there was an I observing that point. And then you may say to me, and, and uh, 
and if you just drop into this is where it gets tricky, talking of discerning internally with Viveka, with discrimination, discerning the difference between yoga nidra and samadhi. You know, because you may drop into conscious deep sleep and you sort of lose all the objects and you're in you're in a sort of objectless awareness of, of the state of deep sleep. But you may go into samadhi on the state of samadhi on that particular point. And it's as if all there is in existence in the universe is that one point. And when it happens that it seems like I and that point merge, there's this incredible experience that has with it happens with it and, and Later, when you try to describe it, it's as if you say, well, it, there wasn't an I there who was experiencing it. I don't know what happened. So this is the nature of, of, of samadhi on a, on a, there, in that case, on a point. I would play back the CD to make sure it wasn't yeah, make sure the CD wasn't broken. Yeah. And so this is another way of saying that this whole business of samadhi is not that far away, you know. Biblical sense, you know, kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's, it's again, is that principle that all of these these things are, you know, just not that far away. God is not far away. Truth, reality, self, Atman, however we want to, you know, view that or explore it. And so you're talking here about this one that says the experiences resulting from samyama are obstacles to samadhi but appeared to be attainments or powers to the outgoing or worldly mind. Remember that in this chapter 3, it's listing, it's listing a whole bunch of objects of meditation and a whole bunch of experiences. So it talks about uh, you know, when you meditate on the elements of earth, water, fire, air, space, a certain level of mastery comes. And so... The way in which it's talking about here, obstacle to samadhi, samadhi is meaning the higher direct experience. If you if you gain an insight about the nature of earth and how if you can manipulate the earth element at a subtle level, you can cause things to happen in the external world at the level of earth, for example. Is that going to take you towards the highest samadhi, the highest enlightenment? Is it going to take you in that direction or is it going to take you away from it? Okay, it can slow you down. It's going to take you away. It's going to slow you down. And I'm just putting... Well, let's put slow you down in the same camp as take you away from. It's just not where we're trying to go. Remember in the language of, of yogas and yoga sutras, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to reach kaivalya, which is the separation, temporary separation of purusha, pure consciousness, from the manifestations of prakriti. I know that sounds like a bunch of philosophy. But it's saying... Is saying, I want the true self to stand alone. I'm trying to seek that direct experience of the center. And so in relation to that direct experience, all of the experiences on the way are obstacles. And maybe the word obstacle has too negative a connotation. It's more like it's saying it's simply not what I'm looking for. If you go into the shopping mall and you're looking for a certain product and you go through store after store and shelf after shelf, you know, and, and but you're looking for a particular thing, and you say, "I know it when I see it." A particular, I don't know, color of shirt or something like that, style. You, what do we say of those other things, those other stores, those other objects, those other shirts? It's what? Not it's, not this. it's not this. And so, in a sense, if I'm going shopping for that style and color of shirt, and I'm looking at this other rack that is a pants or something else entirely 
different or I'm in the camera store or the or the or the sweets shop or whatever. I'm sitting there having coffee and a donut. In those sense, in regard to the object of seeking that shirt that I was looking for, those are obstacles. And if the word obstacle has too much of a negative connotation, I don't know, what's another word? Distraction. A distraction. See, we could use the word distraction for that. And uh, what are translations are obstacles, hindrances, impediments. Distractions would also be a good phrase. And so we have to be mindful to try to, you know, pull out the meanings of these things. And so remember we were talking about uh, that the yogi comes to see that uh, even the pleasurable things are seen to be painful. And this can, and if we don't understand that in the right way, this can sound completely anti-world, anti-enjoyment, miserable. And that's not what it's saying. The yogi comes to see that, wait a minute, everything I'm doing is this recycling process. I'm just getting caught in this endless loop of activity. And it's not that I have to stop living. That's not the deal. It's the part that says, let me learn how to temporarily set aside all of this. So that, and however one may define it in their own heart or spiritual orientation or whatever, so I can, you know, experience that highest truth or reality or God. And so, in some sense, even the pleasurable thing is a distraction, or and in that sense is seen as painful. This is, and this, in this point of the Yoga Sutras, it's not just talking about you know, gross world objects and out here, where the other was talking about all of the experiences of life, where you're just, you're seeing, wait a minute, let, let me learn how to set them aside because, you know, yeah, I mean, just, you take there, it's a delightful as a little, little being that she is. When it's time for you to sit down in meditation, I'm not talking about the fact that she's, a child makes noise. I'm talking about in your mind field. You know, if she's, if she's out with one parent, you know, out, out away from the house, and you're sitting alone in the house, and you're and you're doing a meditation, well, at that point, she's an obstacle. It doesn't mean she, the human being, is an obstacle. I mean, you know, but in but in terms of that meditation, in this particular meditation, well, at the moment that you're going to dive deep into meditation, when you when the thought of your daughter goes through your mind, she's an obstacle. And that's nothing about her. There's nothing negative in that. And so that's a real world thought about a real cute little human being. This here is talking about all of those subtle realm experiences. Astral travel we want to do and we want to channel to people and we want to see you know, mysterious purple swirling lights and we want visions of deities or you know, the on and on and on. And, it, and so this point that's being made is simply saying that they appear to be attainments, they appear to be powers. And uh, if we think we can get distracted in this external world, it's nothing compared to the distractions in the subtle realm. You know, they're much, much more significant. So the subtle realm is extremely alluring. And it's one of the ways, somewhere along the way, if we're fortunate, we come to see 
that as nice as this external world is, it, it, it can't stand up to the, the, the subtle realm. And we, if we don't know that, it's one of the reasons that you know, people like spouses and family members and friends and countries, governments, societies and cultures cannot live up to our expectations. Because the expectation has to do with knowing that there's something really in there at a subtler level that we're looking for. You know, and, and how do you get that to manifest in the external world, which is, is you can't compare. So the real freedom in that, because then we come to see that all these wonderful other people around us, you know, it, it flips in and you see that there's tremendous beauty in the flaws. You know, the, it, I like to say the idiosyncrasies. Think of the idiosyncrasies. You know, like showing up four minutes late. It's just a wonderful, delightful idiosyncrasy. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and then when she stops doing it, what are we going to do? Find something else to pick on her. Find something else to enjoy. <laughs> But anyway, I'm playing with this, but I'm saying that so the first part is at one level is realizing that we come to see that what, you know, uh, many people will look at that whole chapter, that's cute, will look at that whole chapter of, of Yoga Sutras, that third chapter on cities and powers and attainments, and, and will say, oh, well, let's just not even look at that chapter because that's all the powers and we don't want them. We, we want God or truth, so therefore don't even look at them. There's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of sutras there. And 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 the reason I'm saying that is that if we do that too strongly, that the effect is that we're saying I just don't even want to know about the unconscious. The effect is that we're keeping ourselves out here in the conscious worldly realm. Because as you go inward, you cannot help but run into these insights or experiences. You know, and it may manifest in different ways. You know, it, it may be, I mean, a common one that people run into with this stuff is start to run into, I don't know, a little psychic skill or a healing skill. And and uh, and I'm not saying people shouldn't be healers and, and, and do things for other people. That's not where I'm going with this. But suddenly, you know, out goes the shingle, you know, and the business card. And now you're spending, you know, many, many hours and, you know, and, and meditation, the seeking of the higher stuff goes away because now I'm a healer. And, I'm, you know, I'm spending all my, all my time, seven days a week, you know, overdoing that and forgetting about the other. It's one of the ways this manifests. True? I mean, we, we see this. I'm not meaning that to be negative. I mean, I'm just saying, look at the examples of all of us as human, human beings, where we, you know, or, or we, we we run into a, a subtle experience of intuition, and and we become the latest greatest guru on the speaker's circuit. Forgive my sarcasm, but the, all these are traps. I'm saying, and they manifest in many many different ways. That's all it's that's all it's saying. These don't get lost. It, it, what puzzles me is that there are so many sutras about this, but then when they start up and saying all of the stuff you're going to read, and there's a there's, what 337 to 350, so it's about 20. Yeah, yeah. It starts out by saying, by the way, all of the things you're about to read over and over and over again, down through here, are all obstacles. 
It's why are they there? Why are the obstacles there? Remember, we were playing with that word obstacle, and I use that just use that story of said. Imagine you're going through the shopping mall and you're looking for that certain kind of shirt, and and then well, they're distractions. So we have to shop around to find the words, and you say neti neti, not this, not this. Why is it there? The finest word I know is lila, which means play. I mean, it's just a light, playful way of saying that many people have said this. Why is the universe here? It's just all the play of God. It's just all this game. Yeah, well, this doesn't seem like a game. It seems real. There's people getting hurt, and, you know, we're born, we die. There's all this suffering, and what kind of game is this? And so we can get into to that. It's trying to find ways to juggle two principles. It is utterly simple. That's one principle. It is so utterly, grandly simple. The other side of that, the balancing counterpart, is that in that simplicity, there's this grand complexity that emerges. And when we start reading books and talking about this stuff and reading religions at the esoteric level and philosophy and all this sort of stuff. You start reading all this stuff with these Yoga Sutras here it lists all these things you can run into in the subtle realms. This is where we're, we're running into the complexity. We're running into the multiplicity. When we jump back over to the simplicity side, we're saying, let us remember that every one of those is simply manifestations of something else. And that if that when we are attached to certain things, when we feel of it, if you feel attachment for your favorite food, well, it's one of a million kinds of attachments that you have. Well, but here it is. I have that attachment to that thing. That's a reality. I need to deal with it. And the, the simply the fact of statement, oh well, they're, they're all the same. Just give them all up. Well, okay, fine. That's like the approach that says for enlightenment or salvation or truth or whatever you want to call it, all you have to do in one moment is surrender to God. Let us speculate and say, true statement. Go ahead and do it. Do do, do you actually know how to do that? Do you have the ability in this very moment to do that? And if the answer is no then we we can sit around and just wait for God, grace, guru to come along and enlighten me. Or we can say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a part of this. Whoever I am, I'm a part of this and I need to do something to help facilitate my awakening. And I don't think there's a single tradition or religion around that doesn't say you have to do something. And so what we're trying to do in, in seeking the direct experience, many are not seeking direct experience. There's a there's sort of the suggestion that says that's not that's not up to me. That's that's up to God, and so don't even deal with it. Don't look. Don't explore. Just sit here. If God wanted you to know something, he or she would tell you. But when you, one who gets the itch for direct experience comes to see in one version or another that says, "Wait a minute, I'm part of this game, and and whoever I am, I need to do. I have a part to play in this." And grace or guru or truth or something has another part. And so what you're seeing there when you're remembering that chart on the, the Sankhya, we can go through it. And we can't go through it right now. It's a, it's, a, it's a good paper, the one I wrote on it. It's, 
you know, take a look at. It. I mean, it's it's an attempt to make give a good explanation of that process. But the core of what Sankhya is saying in that is that something comes out of something comes out of something. It's the same process that we've talked about in the physics chemistry metaphor that that, that says if this is my if this is my teacup. Well, at the same time that it's teacup, it's also clay or whatever it's made of, which is you know a, which is a molecular structure. Well, it's also made of atoms and it's also made of particles and elements. I forgot elements. So it's particles, it's atoms, it's and elements, it's molecules, it's compounds, and it's a teacup. And all of those levels of reality coexist with one another. And I know that sounds just like a, a philosophical comment. But so too, who you are is your senses and actions, your body, your energy or prana, which manifests as breath. You are a conscious mind, you are an unconscious mind in its levels, and you are something underneath that, and you are that, you are that, whoever you really are beyond all that. And all of those levels of co- coexist, all at the same time. But what's happened to us is we have fallen asleep. We put veils up, and so we don't remember the subtler parts. And so the whole process of meditation, contemplation, prayer, mantra, is a process of systematically unfolding or remembering through those levels and layers. And the grossest level has to do with, with putting our life in order out here, having a good structured life where we're, we're doing a good job, of good healthy job of managing our interests in the world, you know. So you have a good house for yourself, so it's a safe place. You eat good food, all those kind of things that we do. And then, and then, what you're talking about here at this level is what's happened when you start to run into that unconscious construct of who you are. One of the ways I've heard it said, and 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 and, and you, not everybody agrees with it. The majority of America doesn't agree with this. Sounds like blasphemy. But one of the hardest things to convince a person of is that, however you want to say it, God is inside, that, that, that the, you are the wave and the wave is the ocean and all that sort of stuff. Jesus said the parable that the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast in the, in the, in the dough of the bread. I know you can, we can read anything into these things however we want, but one of the ways of looking at that is saying that there is no place that he, she, or it is not like the yeast in the dough and the bread. There's no place in the dough or the bread that there's no yeast. It's everywhere. Once you knead the dough, it's just everywhere. And so you can look at any... If you want to find yeast, you can look at any part of the loaf, any part of the dough, and and there's going to be yeast there. And so, you know, we were referencing that Bindu talk or seminar. And so there's the one that says that kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest out of which the largest grew. Well, that's a statement of Sankhya philosophy, that something comes out of something comes out of something. So, you know, wherever E equals MC square is, whatever E and M are, there's an interchangeability between matter and energy. We may not know what it is, whether it's quark theory or this or that or the other, whatever it is. Another way of looking at that is is if you just look at a physical path, uh, you may be aware of, of sort of the straight line that you're walking along, but, but every footprint is an attainment. 
And then a second later becomes an impediment. If you don't let go of that hunch, that's right. you're not going anywhere. You're going to just yes. sit there and dwell. Right. So right. I, I think that... And in the, yes, you, when you take the step, you have to let go of the step you just did. But, but And that's a good metaphor. But I, I want to make this other comparison. That see, all of those steps are in the same plane of reality. In that metaphor, footsteps are all in the same plane of reality. So what we're doing here, the thing we're talking about when we drop down this level where he's talking about, we're talking one level of footsteps is out here in this gross world. Well, when you drop down into the subtle plane, you're not, it's not just more footsteps. It's a whole different order of footstepping, if that makes sense. So the, you, you do footstepping out here, well then we have to be able, there comes a point where we have to say, wait a minute, everything in the external world in terms of the center of consciousness or whatever you want to call it or God everything in the external world is a distraction or an obstacle let me turn my senses inward temporarily doesn't mean the world's a bad evil rotten nasty place and we ought to get out of here it's not escapism and so let me come inward well when I come into that subtle realm now I'm going to also do the footstepping thing there but it's a different order of magnitude and so when we're talking about this going in, there's these two dimensions to the thing. So it's saying that relative to this world out here, when I start to touch that subtle, some of these insights that come are so rich. And some of the powers you start, whoa, ego can get even greater. And so it's a, it's a, so we need to let go of those two. It's awkward to talk about this, isn't it? What do you think? <coughs> I'm wondering. I'm wondering if it's a game, and there's all, and you're headed towards something. That if the point is the something, or if it's the game. What do you think? Yes, it probably just depends on whether or not you want to keep playing or you want to stop. What if you want to do both? <clears throat> I think that you might hold yourself back. From finding the end, because because you're wanting to play the game. You want to keep playing. Yeah. yeah, it's like a really good book. Sometimes you don't want to get to the end of the book because yeah. you really are enjoying it. And so wanting to play the game becomes the obstacle to getting where you're trying to go. Right. Yeah. Now, what if? Here's the fun part. What if you structured life in such a way that you said, of my 24 hours, part of my time because I'm in the habit of playing this game. Mm-hmm. Part of my time, I'm going to play the game. Mm-hmm. But while I'm playing that game, I'm going to do it in such a way that it serves that other part of my life. So that they go together. Mm-hmm. I'm learning out here while I'm playing the game, because I'm such a, in the habit of playing the game. You know, I, I, I do like reading the book. I don't want to get to the end of the book. I want to keep reading, and I want to, so I'm going to keep going through those first few chapters over and over, so I don't get to the last chapter, the last paragraph. In acknowledging that that's my habit, our habit, I'm going to structure my life in such a way that I'm going to do that. I'm going to fulfill my desires within reason. If I try to fulfill every desire that comes up in this mind, mind field, big trouble. True, but reasonably then the other part of my life is I'm going to give myself, even if it's ten minutes a day, that in that ten minutes, the goal is no game. All levels of the game are to be suspended. Mm 
first the gross world level, then the subtle realm level, then the causal level of the game, and then I get revealed what's there. And so in this sense, I've divided my life into such a way that I have 23 hours and 50 minutes where I get to play in the world, but I'm going to do it mindfully. I'm going to be witnessing the fact during my living of life how it is that I fulfill my desires wisely and others that are not useful, I reject and I don't do them. And I'm doing it in such a way that I recognize that that 10 minutes that I get, in that 10 minutes I set all of this aside. And in that 10 minutes, instead of being out here, I'm going all the way back to what we're calling that question mark. How's that sound? Awesome. But why would you want to do it? I mean, why would you want to do what? What? Why would you want to do it that way? Well, why would you want the 10 minutes? Like Most people don't. Yeah. But if in your 24 hours, you, it, it, when it gets this itch that says, wait a minute, there's something going on here, and I'm feeling like I'm caught in this game, there's, there, there's something about who I am that's deeper. Or, or it may be in the divine way that says, that, you know, there's something about this God business that there's something to do with direct experience of something. Or use a different word than direct experience, whatever that is. It's, there's an intuition, there's a magnetism, there's a draw. And if you don't feel that, people that don't feel that are busy just living their lives. But once, you, once somebody starts to have that itch, it just calls to be scratched. This is why. You know, I don't know if that directly answers why. It becomes this little nagging thing. You just can't shake it. You you know, it's just like, wait a minute. You know, I I try to ignore that because I'm busy in life, and I try to ignore that, and I'm busy in life, and then it just calls louder and louder. Or we or we succeed in burying it. We just don't see it anymore. We're just living in life and. We're not asking any questions. We're not looking at anything. And but once you do the 10 minutes, do you want, do you want more? Hopefully. <laughs> you know, and, and, and particularly in doing the 10 minutes, when, and look at the journey inward. When you do the 10 minutes, what's probably the first thing going to happen? You're sitting there thinking you're going to sit down and be quiet and hang out and be in bliss and all this. And what's the first thing that comes into your mind? All the garbage of the day, you're worrying, you're thinking, you're planning, and you're scheming. And if you do that and you say, well, well, wait a minute, this wasn't fun at all, then you don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But if that itch is still scratching, what do you do? You say, you go back and you find yourself doing it again. You find yourself trying that 10 minutes again. You hang out with other people that are doing this or something like that, you know. You're living your life, and all of a sudden he thinks about over here and he sends an email. You're going to be over there tonight? And what's that about? It's about fun, but it's about that little itch, I think. True? And so, why did that itch there that day? You know, I don't know. It's sort of itching all the time, but from time to time that itch just pops up and says, I don't need a break. I need to get whatever words you put on that. I want to go have that conversation, and I want to, I want to sit there. And, and then have a cup of tea and chat for an hour just to get myself whatever word you want to put it, refocus, centered, balance, something, you know, whatever that is. I'm calling it just scratching that itch a little bit. And then you go do it. If we're wise, we allow ourselves to do it. If we're not wise, if we're making not a good decision in this arena, then we brush it off. We say, no, no, I don't have time. I don't have time. 
You know, I'll do that when I'm retired, child's grown, when I don't have anything left to do in life. I'll do it when I'm an old person. Then it becomes when the grandchildren are raised, you know, and on and on and on. But if the itch is there, then we, we scratch it. If you go into the movie theater to watch a movie and you get so absorbed in the movie, did you decide to forget about your job and your family and your home and the country and all that? Did you decide to do that? Or was that a byproduct of the fact that you got absorbed in the movie? You see? Yeah, it, and so there's a deci- you decided to go into the movie theater, buy the ticket, go in the door. And you did it because you wanted to get lost in a movie. This is what makes a movie good because you're so absorbed in it. If you're sitting there in the movie theater watching the movie and you're daydreaming about home and people and all this sort of stuff, you're not in the movie. So why do we go buy the ticket to go in the movie theater? Because we want to, we want the other stuff to fall away so we can get into this movie. And the same process is what's happened. And we, we can call it different things, but it's karma. This is karma. Car- karma simply means cause and effect. You do this, that happens. If I go into the movie theater, I'm going to forget about the other stuff. I'm going to have distractions. It's when we want to reverse that process. And we say, that's that itch. That says, wait a minute, there's, so, there's something going on. It's like you're sitting there in the movie theater and you say, the little fleeting caught, there's, there's something, you know, you forgot to do something at home or something, and you, and you, but you want to stay in the movie, but the little thing keeps nagging you. Mm-hmm. I didn't turn the coffee pot off. <laughs> didn't turn the coffee pot off. You know, it was something at home. And finally, you get up and you go out and leave the movie, and you call or you and you and you check on it. You scratch the itch, and so it, it's like that. Now, when we step back from that and we look at something like this, or any, when we're looking at this or that Sankhya philosophy or any or, or Genesis. I like to talk about the Genesis. To me, it's all mapped out in the first handful of verses of, of Genesis. Something comes out of something, and so when we step back and we see that big framework. There's real useful in that because then we get to see. We get our, our mind, our asleep mind, gets some sense of this thing that says, wait a minute, this who I think I am is not who I am. And that whatever's going on, it has something to do with that question mark, that unknown, that mystery. And I want to pursue it. And now how am I going to pursue it? Well, there's different ways to do it. Sitting down doing meditation is a part of the process. And the way in which we live our 23 hours and 50 minutes is part of the process. I'm saying, I'm going to say this, I mean this humorously, but I also mean it seriously. It's the question of what book do you sit on the back of the toilet? The the newspaper? You know, I mean, what's the book you put on the back of the toilet when you have that, you know, few minutes of reading time? If this way that the universe is built applies to all people, which it does, then 100% of people really are itching because we have all emerged from something and we're all itching to reawaken to what that was. But in one sense, it's 100% of people. But if I'm really absorbed in the movie, I don't know that I'm itching. And so are the majority of people walking around uh, our country, culture, world actively looking to scratch this itch? No. Most are not even aware that it's there. Because Why? Because we're so engaged in the movie. And it's from time to time, that little itch comes up. One, one of the best examples is, is the cemetery. 
you know, when you go, we've all seen this. You've felt it, you've seen it. When you go bury a family member or a loved one or you go to a cremation place, or you, when you go to the cemetery and somebody's going into the ground, for a moment, everybody's a sage. Everybody understands the priorities of life because you just saw where it ends in terms of this life. Well, how important is your bank account, for example, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're getting buried? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have nice houses and bank accounts. That's not the comment. But we all know this, that when somebody dies around us, what's important in life gets real clear real quick. Isn't that true? But then you get in the car to go have lunch after burying your friend, and and it starts to change. You know, just just going to have lunch or home or, or or whatever. So before long, what happens to that itch that that person has? It's gone. It's not gone. It's been clouded over. So there's there's many people who are trying to manage their stress with meditation. They're only looking at this most gross level of meditation. They're not asking that question. They're not trying to scratch that itch. That's fine. Let people do that. There's many people using spiritual methods so that they can get their body and their, get their blood pressure down. Okay, fine. Let them do that. I'm not being a critic of that. But there's a handful of people that have that itch. And a lot of the people who have that act active itch, I mean, 100% have it because that's where we came from, in my opinion. Ultimately, everybody has it. But most are, are, are not, it's not active. For those who are active, the distractions of the world are so strong that they lose it. They don't scratch the itch. And we all know what New Year's resolutions are. It's, it's, that, it's that phenomenon. And so that, but the, where I'm going with that is to say of the people itching, if we, I'm going to say this in a way that has a particular worldview, and if you don't agree with it, then there's the other ways of saying it. But if we are fortunate enough to have a human birth where we have the mind to be able to even pose the question, who am I and where did I come from, and, and to even have that itch, you know, if we have such good fortune, and that we have the good fortune that, that an anomaly in life comes along. It could be the death of a person. It could be the birth of a child. It could be anything that says gets you to question, wait a minute, what's going on? And suddenly that itch is there. If you have that good fortune, then what we need to do is, is be mindful of that itch and keep scratching it. You know, and that's the ten minutes. Whether it's the ten minutes or some other version of that. The person that goes to church on Sunday, whatever that is, or the or that puts that book on the back of the toilet, it's all of those little things that says, "Boy, I'm on to something here, and I'm just going to keep pursuing it." So, is what I find or what you find unique to you or unique to me? This is a tricky question. If we go to that question mark over there, look next to that question mark. There's this latent part of our mind. This is our own personal predispositions, habit patterns, training in our own childhood. If you were born in one country, culture, and religion, you're taught one thing. Another country, culture, and religion, you're taught another thing. So we each one have conditionings like that. So on your journey in, you run in, if you on your journey in and you run into some light, how are you going to define it? If he runs into some light, how's he going to define it? Any one of us runs into light. Somebody says, oh, that's prana. You know, that's the tan matras of light coming off the chakras. Somebody else says, oh no, that was Krishna. 
somebody else says, no, I've seen the light of Christ. You see, now we can get in a fight over which it is. So I'm wanting to say that we will, we may run into a similar thing and interpret it differently. The mind and our conditioning puts particular interpretations on it. And what I'm about to say, not everybody will agree with. But if we go to that ultimate, highest, deepest sort of thing, is it going to be the same? Yes. It's going to be absolutely the same. And I know other people don't agree with that. Why don't we agree with that? Because we all have conditionings that don't agree with it. <laughs> and so, point being, you get to decide that. So I just, you ask me and I give you my opinion, you don't have to agree with that. You get you get to choose. And, and then you get to decide what to do with your own itch and whether to keep scratching it. So there could be no difference, right? You couldn't find something that was unappealing. Like mm. You couldn't find that you were somebody that you didn't want to be. Oh, not only can you, but you will. And and the reason I'm saying that you will mm-hmm. is because the things that you don't want to be, your conscious mind does you this nice favor of making it, making it so you don't see it. Mm-hmm. But you see, the thing is that none of those characteristics is who you are. None of them. Not even the nice, wonderful, charming... Again, pick your word, but who you are is divine, consciousness, purusha, atman, brahman. You pick whatever it is. In the metaphor, I use the metaphor sometimes of of a computer. I'm not the program on the hard drive or what's processing in the microchip, and I'm not what's on the monitor. I'm the electricity coming through the wall. So the electricity going to every one of our computers is the same. But the program is different. The operating system might be different, but the electricity is the same. And so ultimately, we're all going to find out that who I am is electricity. And I've been talking so much, we almost forgot to do the practice. We didn't forget. I know. (laughs) We're going to do a practice, so we'll do a meditation. You want to do that? Mm -hmm. Okay. You want to do? We'll do. We'll do a little. A little thing. Home. As you sit comfortably, as you sit comfortably for a moment, notice that your attention is naturally drawn in two directions. Just by sitting comfortably, you've done this before, so your eyes naturally close. And your attention starts to go to a place that we call inward. But since you just started this a moment ago, notice how your attention is also drawn somewhere else, even though your eyes are closed, and that we can call out there. 
Notice this. Both are there. There's an in here and there's an out there. Out there, there are other objects, people, things. Not good or bad. Nothing to do with those things or people. Just simply remember that they're there. Literally, remember that there's people around you. You might even think of who they are. Who's sort of in a direction in front of you or behind you or left or right. Notice how easy, natural that is. There's the out there. And now also notice, remember again, that there's an in here. Notice how your attention naturally comes to a place we call inside. Which really means inside of my physical body. Your attention may wander around the body the parts, the arms, the legs, the trunk, the head. May be drawn to sensation, sense of touch. You may notice some muscles that are a little bit a little bit tight. And in noticing that, you easily, naturally let them release. It's almost like it doesn't require any action. As soon as you notice it, you just naturally let it go. Very simple, very easy. Simple awareness. And as I say this, note there's a temporary shift. As you are aware of the in here, notice what happened out there. It dropped away. And as soon as I mention it, the out there is there once again. Allow your attention to come in here, inside. Be aware of the body. Be aware of the sensation, sense of touch. Some parts are particularly sensitive. The face, very sensitive. Palms of the hands, fingers, very sensitive. The front part of our chest and abdomen sensitive. The feet. Be aware of your body. Be like an explorer 
an interior researcher, as if you're really curious. This wonderful body, part of who I am, yet really, finally, ultimately, not who I am. We can remember both. I have this wonderful body, and yet who I am is something beyond this body. Notice the stillness of the body, how easy, how naturally the body has become still, effortlessly. Notice in the stillness of the body that there's something finer that's still moving, the breath. The breath moves, it comes and it goes, naturally, smoothly. It's somehow inside of or finer than the physical body. Be aware of the breath. Maybe the motion of the diaphragm feel of air in the nostrils. Be aware of the breath. As you're aware of the breath, notice with intrigue that now the breath seems to be in here. Certain parts of the body now seem to be out there. The boundary has shifted inwards. Be aware of the breath. It comes and it goes. Very fine, very smooth. As you are aware of that fine, smooth breath, Notice that there is something even finer that also flows smoothly if we allow it. It's the stream of the mind. Breath is there. There's these little bursts of awareness, thought impulses, reflections, memories, ideas. They pop in and out of the field of mind about this or that person or place, memory, projection, just thoughts coming and going. Let them come and go. It's very fine, very quiet, yet moving. 
none of those thoughts are disturbing or distracting. They're just coming and going. Like the breath is coming and going, the thoughts are coming and going. Notice how it seems to be that this mental process is somehow inside of or subtler than this breathing. Allow your attention to rest in that field of mind. It's as if this field is right here. Notice in this field of mind that memories, thoughts, images come and go. And yet notice that finer than those thoughts is that field itself. As if behind, finer, subtler, deeper than the active thoughts, the memories, is this still, silent space. Find that space. You may find it more easily in one or the other of the space at the heart, the place where you feel, space between the breasts, or the space between the eyebrows. Allow one of those two to draw you. Be aware of that space. Notice how that still space somehow seems to be inside, in here, while the thought patterns and memories seem to be out there. Remain in here, in that still, silent space. Rest in that still, silent space, between the breasts or between the eyebrows, in only that one space. There is a still, silent field there. Be aware of that. As if somehow, some way, that field will seem to be out there. And I will be beyond even that field of mind.
be aware of that still, silent field of mind. Very gently, yet surely, decide to often revisit the stillness and silence. so that you may know that unknown beyond even this. So that this stillness and silence may too come to be seen as out there. As you find the real in here. Remember this stillness and silence in this space. It is always there. There is no time that it is not there. And yet be aware now of those thoughts and memories again that seem superimposed on top of this stillness and silence. The thoughts are there. The memories are there of people, places, activities. Remember that still silent space is still there underneath, inside. And yet here is this thought process, these memories, places and people coming and going in the stream of mind. And then once again notice that just outside of that there is this breath flowing coming and going. That still silent space is still there. The thought process is still superimposed on that. And outside of that is this breathing. And then go one more step out there. And again be aware of the whole of this physical body. while your awareness is on this body that still silent space is still there with the thoughts of memories on it and then the breath and then this body this wonderful home or temple in which I reside And then once again be aware of the out there that is the other people around you and the other objects around you. Some to the front or the back or the left or the right. Be aware of those objects and people. And yet be aware that that still silent space is still there and is always there that you'll visit again over and over and sometime go beyond. And the thoughts are there and the breath is there 
the physical body is there. And this external world is also here. Remember that still, silent space, field within is still there, always there, right now, still there. As you remember that still, silent space, that field, as you remember that field, open your eyes. Eyes may not want to open. Open your eyes. Open your eyes so that you can do both at the same time. Eyes are open. This world is here. Objects are here. People are here. But that still, silent space, that field, is still there. It is still there. It is always there. It is never not there. Thoughts and ideas and memories on top of it, just outside of it, as is the breath as is the body and as is this external world. But it's always there. However you do this inside, eyes are open. However you do this inside, resolve to remember the still, silent space, that field inside, even when your eyes are open. And that's what we do for 23 hours and 50 minutes. And in the other 10 minutes, we leave this out here and go through the various levels and layers of in here. the in here and the out here, the in there and the out there, the inside and the outside go together. Not just one or the other, but both. Om. In your meditation today, may your body be still and comfortable. May your head, neck, and trunk be aligned. May your breath be smooth, slow, serene, and with no pauses. May the flow of thoughts in your mind not disturb you. May your meditation today bring you peace, happiness, and bliss.